0: Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rojas and I'm the Digital Engagement Director here at Rolling Hills. We all get angry, right? We all experience situations or moments that make us mad or frustrated and make us react emotionally. God has designed us to be people with emotions and have the ability to express them. But he also calls us to be people of peace and joy. So when we do experience feelings of anger and frustration stemming from the sin of wrath, We need to learn to combat those with the truth found in God's Word. And that's what we're going to do in today's message. Thanks for being here today.
1: Wow. I mean, has it been awesome in here already or what? I mean, a powerful morning of worship already. And I hope and pray that you um, will just open your hearts to what it is that God wants to continue to teach us today as we open up His Word and continue in this series called Refine. So today we're talking about anger. And so I uh, wanted to start by sharing with you a list of things that frustrate me. Okay. Okay. You guys are a captive audience, so there's no time like the present. Just some little things that make me angry, if you will. Maybe you have a list that is similar, and these are pretty simple things. I always get frustrated when someone sends me an email, and then three minutes later they stop by and say, did you see my email? (laughs) Yes, most of us aren't that quick, you know, with the reply. Yes, I, I saw that. I get frustrated when I'm at a restaurant. I order a sandwich, and they say, would you like cheese on that? Of course. I want cheese on that. And then I get the bill and the cheese was a dollar twenty-nine extra. And they didn't tell me about the upcharge. And I thought to myself, a dollar and twenty-nine cents for a craft single, that's pretty rich. So you know, we you needed to explain that to me. I get frustrated by that. I get frustrated every time I have to create a new account, username, and password for literally everything online anymore. And they have to make me change my password every six months because how dare someone hack my Pizza Hut Rewards program. <laughs> You know, and get my free one-topping medium pizza that's hanging out there. You know, I would hate for that to happen. Um, and then the one that's probably the frustration to end all frustrations. I was so frustrated every year as I waited in a super long line of cars to get the emissions test done. <sighs> for a couple reasons. One, no one could ever tell me what they were testing. And I would ask every time, what are we testing? Well, we don't really know. Okay, but it's $9. And the answer that I got was so that we wouldn't be polluting the air. And I thought to myself, you know, nothing like 245 cars idling (laughs) here. You know, this, this, this is great for the ozone, you know, right above us here in this moment. And then I really knew something was up because when you pass the test, literally a dot matrix printer prints out a smiley face. Can I just give the nine dollars and bypass this altogether? Now I'm happy to say that in many Middle Tennessee counties, we have moved past the emissions test. Some of y'all are still in it. But I um please clap for other things in the sermon besides just that, okay? Um, because that was just a joke. Um, but um, but there's a little list, I'm sure, of things in your life that make you angry. Maybe they're super insignificant, or maybe they're a little more severe, because our topic of the day is anger. And and if you're completely immune from anger, what you need to do is start a blog to help the rest of us, the rest of us strugglers. If you figured out the secret sauce, how to not kind of be prone to anger or frustration in your life, please help the rest of us out. Or maybe that's not true for you at all, and this message is going to kind of hit you squarely between the eyes because anger is an issue for you. Or you're kind of moving that direction where frustration has kind of taken over in your life. Perhaps you grew up in an angry home where well, you kind of saw this model. You know, mom and dad uh, or your guardians, they would kind of fight things out, whether verbally or emotionally or physically or whatever the case might be, and you've kind of, kind of let that be the example that you tend to follow. Or maybe you're angry or frustrated about things like elected officials or the pandemic or maybe you're angry with your spouse you might be angry that your kid didn't make the team you wanted them to make maybe you're angry about the place that you are in life right now you're angry with traffic you know you're angry about change you're angry that you didn't get the promotion i think it's safe to say that all of us from time to time are going to be prone to anger and frustration. And what do we do with that? And my hope and prayer is that as we continue in this series called Refine, that God would give us some insight today about why we're angry. Is it bad to be angry? What am I supposed to do in my life? What do I replace that with, so to speak, that helps me to move into a healthier season of life? Now, anger as a whole is a huge issue for us as a culture, isn't it? In fact, it seems like we're facing it at an all-time high right now, and you see it everywhere. I'm not sure in my lifetime that I've seen anything like it. Just this past week, my wife was telling me she was picking up our daughter from school, and they were in the walker line, and you was picking up our daughter to walk back home. And she was telling me about this verbal altercation she saw between two cars waiting in the line. And, you know, it was starting to get elevated and escalated. And you're thinking, this has to happen in other places, not right here in perfect little Nolensville, Tennessee, but we're frustrated, and it's manifesting itself in moments like that. Uh, Earlier this week as well, I was running, and I had someone stop and share their thoughts with me about where I was running, and they chose to do that in a pretty obnoxious way. Now, I wasn't running across their yard, so it wasn't like I was in private property, and I thought to myself, I thought this was a public street. I guess it's not, you know, and uh, thank you for sharing your frustration with me. I had a teacher share with me in just the past couple of weeks that in all of her years of teaching, she has never dealt with frustration and anger like she is now, both in person and via email, social media, and Completely unsolicited, I had a guy reach out to our staff, some of our staff members this week, and he's a very active business and economic leader here in our community. And, and he said, I want to share with you some concerns that I've observed across our county. And he says, that it really saddens me. And this is directly from his message. And I quote, we are displaying an unusually high degree of wrath towards our frontline workers, servers, wait staff, healthcare workers, and teachers. I have story after story of frankly evil behavior from people within our community towards those who are serving our community. And he continues by giving several examples, uh, which I won't read to you. And then he concludes by saying, and I quote, I know we're better than this, but it's hard to tell lately. I understand people are feeling a level of unimaginable stress, but that's no excuse for this kind of behavior. And I read that message and I thought to myself, it directly it, it caught my attention because not only was I preparing for this message, but I really started grappling through this question of what do we do with what we're feeling? Because we as a people are under a lot of stress. We're working really, really hard, and it seems very timely that we need to hear from God's Word about how to respond. Now, the promising thing about where we're headed today is that of all the seven deadly sins, I think this one probably needs the least explanation. Because maybe you've come in the past couple of weeks and you've thought to yourself, gluttony, I'm not really sure I struggle with gluttony. Or sloth, do I really struggle with sloth? Anger, do I struggle with anger? Well, let me say something offensive to you and see how you feel, and you'll know (laughs) whether or not... Let me say something rude to you. And whatever stirs up in you, you know, will be a pretty direct correlation between do I struggle with anger? But what do we know about anger? Anger, like any emotion that you and I have the capacity to feel, anger is a God-given emotion. Hear me on that. Anger is a God-given emotion. There's nothing wrong with being angry about things in life. There's nothing wrong with being angry about things that have happened to you. There's nothing wrong about being angry about traumatic things that have happened in your life. And I don't want you to ever think that this would be a church where we'd say, you shouldn't feel angry about that, or you should just kind of sweep that under the rug. That is not the point of this message at all today. But like any emotion, you have the capacity to feel it because God gave you the ability to experience that emotion. And sometimes we kind of use the example of Jesus was angry, so therefore I get to be angry. Well, look at what Jesus was actually angry about. Let me read you a couple examples. You're going to see these up here on the screen. In Mark chapter 3, listen to verses 1 through 5. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and the hand was completely restored. Now, what was the root of Jesus's anger there? He was anger because there were stubborn religious leaders who were trying to catch him up in a, will he heal someone on the Sabbath? Because you weren't supposed to do that according to the Old Testament law. And Jesus says, well, what's more important, to bring this healing or to disappoint you in the fact that I did not follow that Law In John chapter 2, probably the most famous of Jesus' encounters where we see recorded with anger, it's in the temple. John chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. So when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. And he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said... Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. And then if you continue on reading, what does Jesus do? He turns over the tables of these money changers because they had turned the temple, a place of worship, into a place of profit. They had turned it into a place where items were sold, but they weren't just sold. They were really sold at a manner that placed undue financial burdens on the people who were buying these items. And so in no shape or form am I ever going to say to you that you're going to be able to live your life and never be angry. The question, though, that we all have to grapple with is, what really makes me angry? And what made Jesus angry? And how do I have righteous anger? And how do I be angry about the things that really matter opposed to the things that are completely insignificant? Because here's the reality. You see this here on your screen. And maybe you want to follow along on your notes, and maybe you can reflect up on these a little bit later on this week or share this truth with someone. It's easy to be angry about insignificant things and to be passive about things that you should be righteously angry about. Let me repeat that for you. It is easy to be angry about insignificant things. And to be passive about things that you should be righteously angry about. So am I ever going to say to you that you should leave this room and never be angry about anything? That's not true at all. We just have to evaluate, are we being angry about the right things? Look at James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, there are things that should break your heart. There are things that should make you angry. There are things that should make you frustrated about what's happening around you. And all of those things, in the proper context, should move you towards compassion. Because Jesus was angry, but what was it really rooted in? It was rooted in compassion towards the people who needed healing. It was rooted in compassion towards the ones who were being um, you know, treated unfairly. And so I give you the license this morning be righteously angry about things that matter. Righteously angry about things that are significant. But human anger, just human anger that has me as the center, according to James, does not produce righteousness, which is a really fancy way for saying being in right standing with God. It doesn't make us more and more like Jesus. Because what does human anger do? Human ac- anger actually produces the opposite in our life. It doesn't make us more like Jesus. It makes us more like the world, But if I conform to Jesus Christ, then I'm going to care about the things that Jesus cares about and be moved to compassion about the things that moved him to compassion. According to UNICEF, currently, as of today, there are 153 million orphans in the world today. It's a shocking statistic. You see on your uh, mobile devices or on the TV or on the news stories that you're reading about this just terrible situation that continues to unfold in Ukraine, and, and, and you see these, it's just, these things just kind of exacerbate these stats that are already so hard for us to fathom. According to the Tennessee Alliance for Kids, there are over 8,000 children in the foster care system in the state of Tennessee alone. And then you juxtapose those truths with James one twenty seven. religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in the distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It should make you and I righteously angry that those stats are so high. And it should compel us to do something about it, whether that's sponsorship, whether that's advocacy, whether that's donating, whether that's opening up our homes, whatever the case might be, it should make me righteously angry and compel me to serve others knowing that people are dying every day separated from God. It should make me righteously angry that people have been treated so poorly that when they think of the church, they think of an institution that hates them more than loves them. And they're traumatic when they think about you inviting them to a place of worship. It should make me righteously angry and move me to compassion, to want to help them see a different story. I may never be angry about any of those things, but the minute the grocery store is short-staffed, the minute the line's a little bit too long, or the minute that they take away the almond milk that they know I love, all bets are off. And you see this angry side come out, and I I go to social media, I complain about it. In fact, I'm shocked personally in my own life. This is not a sermon to you. This is a mirror that I'm holding up. I'm shocked personally in my own life about the things that I care about and the other things that I remain completely unfazed by. The things that I care about and the other things that I remain completely unfazed by. See, you and I are not acting like Jesus when we have the wrong response to anger, and that should be enough. It should be enough to say this is not the right response and so because Jesus would not want me to have that response to whatever's happening around me, I want to kind of keep that at bay. But in fact, what we tend to do is instead of making it about God, what do we tend to do in life? Who is the easiest person to make our lives about? This is an easy answer. Me. It's easiest to make my life about me. In fact, sometimes the way that I see the world through is the question that I like to call, how does this affect Jason? Jason. The how does this affect Jason lens. You know, that's kind of the way that we tend to sometimes look at the world. And if we're not careful when we're talking about just kind of our responses to things, what we can see is that anger tends to sometimes then be corrupted by selfishness. Anger tends to be corrupted by selfishness. God gives us the parameters for it to be righteous, and we have a way that we're supposed to handle that. But when I make life all about me and selfish me and everything that I want and everything that I desire, then this this anger just moves away from the way that God intended for it to be, and hence why all these sins need to be refined in our life. It's what we've been talking about this entire series. Now, why does selfishness get us in trouble? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or out of vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. See, this is why selfishness is such a root of a lot of the issues that we face is because Jesus never intended life to be about us. He intended our life to be about him and other people, And so that final destination of selfish, unhealthy anger is never good. And the minute that I take this emotion and center everything on me is the minute that I'm going to have some work and some refining that I need to do. Now, in full disclosure, I, I get angry, and when I don't have the proper kind of perspective to see it through anybody else's lens but my own, I always miss it. And I end up not becoming more like Jesus and not being moved to compassion the way that Jesus, or maybe you say things that you regret, or you think things that are not healthy. And I continue to make life all about me. And this, this um, really came to my awareness a couple of years ago, I was uh, waiting for a flight and the dreaded thing happened. You never want to happen when you're traveling is the flight get canceled. And it's, ha- you know, at the airport, everybody's there and a couple hundred people. And so, you know, people on the phone and there's this line, you know, with the gate agent, everybody trying to figure out where they need to be. And I realized in that moment that wherever all of us needed to be was the most important place in the world. I mean, whether it was work or vacation or whatever the case might be, I mean, you knew that where I needed to be was more important than all 199 other Travelers in that moment. And so there was a, uh, a lady behind me who was very visibly upset by this. And so I could, I mean, she was crying very loudly. And so I turned around and said, you know, are you okay? Is, can, I, can I help you? You seem to be really upset. And she said, yeah, I am really upset. And through tears, she said, my sister is dying and I'm trying to get to her. And I was just like, how dare me <laughs> to think that where I needed to be <laughs> in that moment. Was more important because life or death wasn't hanging in the balance where I was trying to get to. And here's a person who, and I'm seeing the anger around us all and the way that we're all being frustrated with this. And I thought to myself, if I could just not allow my life to be corrupted by so much selfishness right now, I could see the needs that are around me. Or to make it maybe a little bit more relevant, because maybe that's never happened to you. Maybe this has. This week I was starting to get angry with my four year old son at bedtime because he was ready for bed. And he kept goofing off. And I kept saying, buddy, it's time to go to sleep. And, you know, he kind of jumped on the bed and, you know, screamed or whatever. (laughs) Buddy, it's time for bed. Ah, Can we read the Bible? I mean, my son tells that to me. Trying to get him ready for bed. Can we read the Bible? I'm like, yes. But I think I know what you're doing. You know, uh, (laughs) by by this. uh And I felt myself getting frustrated. And um, what you need to know is that I literally had been studying for this sermon that day. And I had a gut check moment because the root of my anger, in full honesty, it, was not, it wasn't based in the fact that research says a four-year-old needs 10 hours of sleep for their mental development. You know, that's not why I was frustrated. I wasn't frustrated because, you know, the, the, the child experts say, you know, kids need this much sleep for all the things that make them mother. That's not why I was frustrated. I was frustrated because I wanted some me time. Selfish, sure. But I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Dare I say, though, that a lot of our anger, a lot of our anger is a result of me just not getting what I want when I want it, or you not getting what you want when you want it. I've heard stories that have literally blown my mind that are much more severe than that, that if a person had not told it to me themselves, I wouldn't have believed it. I've heard multiple stories about families and siblings that no longer speak to one another anymore because what she was left in the will and what I didn't get. I've heard grandparents that have never met their grandchildren because of an argument that they had with their son at age 19. And now they have a 19-year-old grandchild and they've never met. Don't tell me that anger is not a big deal. And don't tell me that it doesn't fester and get completely out of control. I'm aware of families that do not speak anymore because one cousin was left grandma's set of encyclopedias and grandma promised me that she was going to leave me the encyclopedias. Y'all think I'm making this up. That's an honest-to-goodness true life story and I could produce two people. To verify the story. Anger not only robs you of joy currently, but it robs you of all the future joy that you might have. And it's festering wound that doesn't get better over time if you leave it in this selfish realm and it intensifies in the wrong direction. And present day you can find yourself not speaking with someone over a set of encyclopedias that honestly you would have a hard time getting somebody to take off your hands if you paid them right now. Because where do encyclopedias belong? In the garbage. They're trash. They're old, antiquated information, and yet we're not going to be speaking over those things. But you know, Pastor Jason, you don't know what someone else has done to me, and you know what? I don't. That's exactly right. I don't know what has happened in your life. I don't know the terrible things that you have gone through. I don't know what another person has done to you. I will agree with you on that, and I will never stand on this stage and diminish the fact that Many of us have stories of trauma and many of us have stories of things that are very egregious that have happened to us. And so I don't ever want you to say that you just kind of need to move on from those things. I'll agree with you on that. I don't know the way that you've been sinned against. I don't know the terrible things that have happened to you. I don't know how you've been wronged, but this is what I do know. If you have been wronged, if someone, for example, has committed sin against you and you've been caught in the crosshairs of that, or maybe someone has done something to you and it's terrible, and, it, and it, or maybe something is significant or insignificant and you were wronged because of it, this is what I want you to know because this is as true as anything from God's Word. God is offended by the sin of another, so I don't have to be. And this is harsh and hard for us to fathom. God is offended by the sin. That happens to us. And so I don't have to be. Now, does that mean that I'm going to just get over it day one? Probably not. There's going to be some work in my life. But just so you'll notice, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. See, all of those things are offensive to God. He is angered and and it takes offense by the way that people skew up wicked schemes and the way that people say things about you that are not true, deceitfulness, anger, haughty eyes, so to speak, a lying tongue. Those are all wrong in the sight of God, and he does not approve when someone does those things to you. But what you and I tend to do is we tend to kind of jump into judge mode, and we want to be the authority on those matters. We want to call the shots. If someone has sinned against me, someone's treated me wrong, someone said something untrue about me, I promise you that offense made God angry. And perhaps, just perhaps over time, I can allow that anger to go by the wayside. And maybe that's by talking to people, obviously through prayer and community of believers, and I can allow that anger to go by the wayside and say, you know what, God is fighting that battle for me. And I don't have to anymore. Do you know how I know that God is moved to action by our sin and the sin of other people? Do you know how I know that God is offended and angered by our sin? He sent his son Jesus to die for it all. His most precious gift, his one and only child. His blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sin. It's the power of the gospel. And so I need to be really careful when I get indignant about, well, he said this to me. I need to go and make it all right. I was wronged. Sure I was but I also didn't give my one and only son to make that right. God did. And I assure you, he has a plan for that person just like he has a plan for you. And he has a plan to make it right, and he has a plan to make it whole and to heal everyone in that situation. So God is, of course, angered by our sin, but he loves the person that has sinned. He loves the person that has been sinned against, and he has a plan for all of humanity. So if someone has wronged you, Perhaps you can kind of take a moment and just say, you know what? I don't need to be the final authority on all of that. And you can thank God that he is. Jesus Christ died so we could be forgiven. And some of us may have some work to do because we've allowed anger to get the best of us. If you look at the way that we respond, you know, maybe in some of the situations that we've already been talking about, whether it's frontline workers or teachers or on social media or whatever the case might be, when our mind goes to somewhere that, that it doesn't need to be, it'd probably be good for us to do some self-evaluation to say, is it really the root? Is is what I'm saying really the root? Because have you noticed in your own life, when you kind of lash out at someone, you realize it really wasn't that moment that I was as angry about. It's something that happened three days ago, and you've never really dealt with it. And as a result of that, you're lashing out. So this is what I think a lot of us has found, and you see this here in your notes, is that unhealthy anger is often a sign of a more deep-rooted issue unhealthy anger in our life is often a sign of a more deep-rooted issue. And so if you're kind of at a place that's unhealthy, maybe you can do some hard work to say, is there something deeper that's going on here? Is there something that needs to happen in my life? Now, Scripture certainly affirms this. Luke 6, 45 says that a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So anger in my life often stems from insecurity you know, maybe I'm bold and I'm brash and I'm a keyboard warrior, but deep down I'm, I'm pretty insecure. I don't feel like I'm good about at anything or my worth is not found in, in Jesus. So instead of having a cup that overflows with gratitude and generosity and dis- discipline and discipleship and grace and mercy, my mouth speaks or my attitude kind of reflects the bitterness or the frustration or the insecurity, it's always blown my mind how sometimes as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you get a hard pass on this. But for the rest of us, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's always amazed me how sometimes we're the angriest of all. It's just never made sense to me. Why are we sometimes the angriest people in the world when we have the hope that rescues the world and a hope that changes the world? And if you're not careful, you can let days pass and weeks pass and months pass, and those months turn into years. And instead of biblically handling that anger or that frustration, maybe with another person, it gets out of control. And we completely bypass the fact that Matthew 18, Matthew 18 for example, God gave us a beautiful picture of how to handle conflict with another person, how to address that with another person. But yet I tend to let it marinate. And then I get to a place that Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 tells me that in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So see, anger is an open invitation for the devil to come and take up residence. If you want to welcome the attacks of the enemy in your life, then have some unresolved anger because anger is an open invitation. It is a key for the enemy to come and take up resonance in your life. It's one of the clearest examples in Scripture that we see of how the enemy kind of takes root in our life when we have this unresolved anger. And maybe it looks like this. you know, You go to bed angry at your spouse, and it didn't get better overnight. And you're more frustrated the next day, or you go to bed angry at your boss, which means you hate your job more tomorrow than you did today. And you just let that cycle get out of control. You fall asleep to a talking head on TV criticizing how bad everything is in the world. Or you scroll through a post and you kind of lull yourself to sleep by reading about how bizarre your HOA is and then you wake up more frustrated than you were when you went to bed. And it's just a vicious cycle that spirals out of control. And so if you're on that path or maybe you've been on that path or maybe you see yourself approaching that path, can we all together say, let's not stay there. Let's not stay in this pattern of frustration or this pattern of angeriness. Let's commit to work through the things that God is doing in our life. And maybe, maybe these are just a few takeaways. And, and, and maybe there's significance or there's insignificance, whatever the case might be. Kind of four steps. Four steps that I want to give you. Maybe just as some practical helps as you go throughout the course of this week and your life ahead. Number one, go through your day without being offended. you guys think we can do that? Think we can? You think we can go a whole day without being offended? Think you could go a whole week without being offended? Could I go a whole month without being offended? Could I go a year without being offended? Look at Proverbs 19, 11. You guys think God's word is silent on all of this stuff. God is so wise in his infinite wisdom. Look at what he tells us. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. That's from the NIV. I actually like the ESV version even better. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. How cool is it that Scripture says it is good sense, it is prudence, it is patience, it is wise in your life to say, there are things that are happening around me that I could very easily take offense to, but it is to my advantage and to my glory to say, you know what, I'm not going to be personally offended by that today. I'm going to overlook it. I'm not going to comment, just going to keep scrolling, just going to kind of be still. A couple of years ago... It was right around Christmas time, and I got sucked into this post about a, um, a, a Nashville-area business that was open on Christmas Eve. And, you know, Christmas is a really busy time for me, but I somehow carved out enough margin in my life to read hundreds of posts about um, this business that was open on Christmas Eve. And the general thought behind the post was that, you know, Middle Tennessee at large, we were really offended that these employees had to work on Christmas Eve. And so you saw all these posts about, you know, this and that, and I can't believe that they have to do this. And I started reading at about 150 comments in, do you want to take a guess as to who was noticeably absent from the conversation? Anybody who actually worked at this place. (laughs) And I thought to myself, we're really offended on behalf of people that may not even be offended. They may have had time and a half. I mean, they may have had to do a lottery to decide who worked, you know, on Christmas Eve because they were getting a thousand dollar bonus. You know, I don't. But it was just a shocking reality to me, of how offended we were. I mean, we were ready to like, you know, you know, take over and like, you know, we're headed to the corporate headquarters and we're going to speak a piece of our mind, you know, to these people. But how about instead of being offended on behalf of others or maybe assuming worst case scenario or better yet assuming that every rule or every restriction that's set in place is there to make my life miserable, (laughs) I would say, you know what, maybe it is to my glory to overlook some of these things and to say, you know what, I've allowed that to take up way too much mental real estate, way too much emotional real estate in my life. I'm just going to let it pass and choose not to be offended. Number two, guard your mouth guard your mouth. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, guard your mouth, I worded it guard your mouth because guard your mouth sounded a little bit more positive than shut your mouth. So instead of saying shut your mouth, I decided to say guard your mouth because a pastor should never stand in front of people and say shut your mouth. But guard your mouth is a lot healthier way to say that. So just be really careful to shut your, I mean, guard your mouth. Our mouths get us in trouble, doesn't it? Think about it. A root of a lot of the frustration that you and I are experiencing right now is the fact that God gave us an edict for this, a command, if you will. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The Greek philosopher Epictetus is attributed with the saying, we have two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we speak. I actually thought that my grandmother coined that term because she used to say it all the time and she took full credit for it. We have two ears and one mouth. Why? Because we need to be listening doubly the amount that we're speaking. And James 1.19 says the same truth. Listen quickly, speak slowly, rise to anger slowly. Have you noticed that in most of the conflicts that we face, though, we literally do that in reverse order. We get angry first, talk a lot, and then maybe listen. You know, if you prove me wrong, I'll listen to you. We kind of fly off the handle, talk a lot, and then choose to listen a little bit, but maybe God wants to show us a different path, help us to handle some of that conflict so that we don't have to respond with those frustrating, um, kind of frustrating responses. Number three, give yourself margin. Give yourself some margin. This one is huge. Road rage hardly surfaces when you're running 15 minutes early. I mean, when's the last time you got mad at somebody on the road when you're 20 minutes early? Probably not, so I'm just gonna let that point stay as is. There you go. Point number four, grow in patience. (laughs) Grow in patience. When Paul's addressing what love is really all about, that love chapter of the Bible, the chapter that we love to read because it's so rich and talks about what love really is, what is the first word that Paul uses to describe love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient. How about you and I grow in patience this week? Because when I'm patient with another person, what happens? My love for the God and for others and for them, it increases If you want to rest assured that God will answer a prayer that you pray today, pray for patience. Some of you may say, God never answers my prayers. Well, pray for patience. He'll answer it. I promise you. If you have the audacity to pray for patience today, God's going to bring you an opportunity this very day (laughs) to be patient. Some of us are just praying the wrong things. We say God never answers our prayers. We're praying for the Titans to win the Super Bowl. And God's like, just pray for patience. I'll answer that one for you. I'll give you many opportunities to grow in something that is so crucial. And so I want to close today by just kind of asking you on a gut level, a gut level that just kind of respond. How is it that God wants you to respond today? Maybe you're here and you have been hurt and you're on a path of anger. You're on a path of frustration. Maybe you're here and, um, you know, you, you see yourself kind of leaning close to what we're talking about. Or maybe you're here and you've just allowed frustrating things of this world to just take up way too much of your heart and way too much of your mind. Or maybe... Um, maybe just maybe, some of these uh, stories that we kind of share as examples about how far anger will take you, maybe that's your reality. And you want to say, I want a different story. I want to write a new chapter starting today. And so I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And in the few minutes that we have left in our time together this morning, I want to give us a chance to respond. And as the band is uh, making their way to the stage, I've also asked a few of our um, Prayer team members, our pastoral care team, some men and women that um, love you and that care for you, to make themselves available as well. And so, I'm going to ask them to go ahead and move throughout the room as well. Wherever they are, they can just kind of move to the corner of the room, move to the back of the room. Um, In just a moment, um, I want to give you a chance. If 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 you're here and and you're just on you're on a path that you do not like, and You want someone to pray for you. You want someone to walk alongside you. You want someone to just remind you you're not alone in that. There's not a person looking around. I promise you, nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to reach out to you for a follow up conversation. But I don't want to let this moment pass without you having someone to pray for you. And so, as we're just sitting here for just a moment in silence, There's some folks that are, again, positioned in the room. You can look up and take note of where one of them is. And I just want to give you a moment, a little bit of space. If you want to pray with someone, maybe about what anger has done in your life, what frustration has led to, um, they're here for you. And so we're going to sit here for just a moment uh, to give you a chance to, to go pray with someone if you'd like to do that today. For all of us this morning, I hope that we won't leave this place Um, with unresolved conflict, with frustration, but that we will leave this place with peace. And so maybe here in just a moment, you're going to want to stand and sing. Maybe you're going to want to sit where you are and pray. Maybe you still want to move throughout the room as these men and women are going to just kind of stay where they are for the next few minutes. Um, This is your time to respond. My hope and my prayer is that you would not walk away today the same, but that you would walk away changed because of an encounter with a God who loves you, So thank you, God, for meeting us here today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for community. Thank you for peace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for hope. Thank you for life. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for joy. And I pray, God, that each of us would pursue those things this morning. If we're struggling, if we're afraid, if we're scared, if we're angry, if we're traumatized, if we're um, just in a place that we don't want to be, I pray that you would help us to respond and take the courage today to invite someone um, to pray for us, for us to pray, um, and to trust you, God, with these areas in our life. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you that you fight for us, and we thank you that you're here and that you're close. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for being here today, church. If you want to get further connected with our online campus, send me an email today at the address below, or scan this QR code. I would love to hear from you and help you figure out where to get plugged in at Rolling Hills. Follow us on our social media channels to stay connected with us and with others in our online community throughout this week. And we'll see you back here next Sunday.